Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast episode number 72. And today I am interviewing David Lemley of Retail Voodoo, and we are going to talk about branding. So buckle up, Buttercup, and let's get your brand on. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. All right. So welcome, everybody. This is Dr. P in the house, and I'm here with David from Retail Voodoo. And I'm just going to let David introduce himself. We're in for a really great podcast today. I'm so excited to have him here. So take it away, my friend, and tell us all the things. All the things. Okay. So my name is David Lemley. I work in a consultancy in Seattle, Washington, but serve a national client base of folks that are in the food and beverage world that are committed to making the world a better place. What that means is that we really focus on people who care about ingredient quality, sourcing story, and that they have a triple bottom line in their business. And so we have been doing this for a very long time and have uh, really feel incredibly blessed to be able to work with the people that we do. And um, the secret is you guys are winning. It's what the whole idea of natural and organic and better for you and clean ingredient and sourcing story 10 years ago when I really pointed my practice at that, I was considered a lunatic and a heretic and laughed at by people in the category. And now I can go buy organic food at Kroger. So, and Walmart and Target are now the biggest producers of organic clean ingredient and promoting a healthier lifestyle. So I do think that we're, we're on mission. That's really exciting to hear because, you know, you think about it, you are right. You could, I used to shop at Kroger when I lived in uh, Georgia and I laugh at thinking of being able to find anything organic or natural or whatever at the Kroger in, 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 I wasn't even in Atlanta, I was in Athens where the university is and there was, there was like nothing, (laughs) (laughs) nothing there, but you're right. In a few short years, it has really, really changed. (sighs) Yeah. So I think it's because of uh, people who, who care. And then I think that messaging that the messaging and branding and the storytelling that people are hungry for transparency and and more and more people have also started to figure out you kind of are what you eat. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to, um, care for your body and you want to tap into this whole notion of health and wellness, you probably should pay attention. That's super, super true. So then going from there, tell me, what do you wish that every food business that's like building a brand, what do you wish that they could know? Gosh, that's a really good question. I wish that every food business building a brand could know that you cannot just throw money at marketing and win. You need to have a story and a plan and you need to have relationships. Relationships are the most important thing. So if they are suppliers or distributors or co-packers or co-manufacturers, all of those relationships are hypercritical to your story. And story and transparent story matter the most. And so when you have all of those things in place and then you have amazing products, then it makes sense to invite other people into the club. And that's marketing. 
That makes a ton of sense. You know, we talk in, um, I talk a lot about building assets because, you know, around here, we're not just about food safety. Food safety is like a means to an end of building resilient businesses. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are, I talk about six assets. And the third asset that I talked about is building trust and credibility with your stakeholders. And I really feel like a brand and a story is a way to build that trust and credibility. What do you think of that? Mm -hmm. I think you're spot on. I think that's, that's exactly the, the most important part is trust and credibility. And so it's like this. So I think about brand, for example, a lot of people think about brand as it's your look and feel, your identity, your packaging, all of that sort of stuff that comes from the graphic design world, which is where my background is from. But in reality, brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And so that comes down to credibility and trust and who you are in good days and bad days. And so your partners are the ones that will first build your brand to, in order to give you a chance to share it with people who might buy your products. I love that. Your brand is what people say when you're not in the room. Uh, that's fabulous. Like that's worth everything like right there. <laughs> so I have to, I have to attribute that to Jeff Bezos, the, the um, superhero behind Amazon. He's right. Okay. So that's just to be clear. Um, Hi. <laughs> that's super interesting. I wonder if he knows what people say when he's not in the room. <laughs> well, I think that's a fascinating conversation because I think that um, it depends on the room. Uh, right. I think oh, yeah. It depends a lot, a lot on the room. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. So then what, then let's just jump into this. So what are like, what's the most common myth then? And maybe you just, just answered that is what's the most common myth about branding and, and can you debunk it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, th I think the most common myth about branding is that I can get my friend's sister who knows Adobe Illustrator to make me something cool for $18 and that's going to be close enough. And that, the reality is, and there's good news and bad news in that. Love your sister's friend because she's probably a really awesome person with a good heart and may have some really good talent and skills in clicking the mouse. But that is not mm -hmm. going to work because here's the deal. As much as I am like we're winning and everything is happening and all of these food brands have permission to come and do more, the reality is we live in a world of hyper choice. So for everything you can imagine to make, I have an opportunity and right at my fingertips, if I'm in, uh, in the world anywhere, I can get parity to it. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, I, I, I like to use Cheetos as an example. <laughs> because if you think about Cheetos, because everybody knows what a Cheeto is. And it's, yeah, it's a, <laughs> a horribly bad example of uh, better for you food, except for, um, I think it's a good example because Cheetos are um, ubiquitous. That everybody can find them at the 7-Eleven or the Wawa or wherever. And you know them, your grandmother knows them, they've been around for a long time. And they don't stand for anything other than cheesy goodness. And so this whole category of cleaner, better ingredient puffs has bloomed around Cheetos. Sure. And so um, an example would be hip peas. I'm sure you've seen it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hip peas yeah. and it's all super cool. And uh, the, uh, it's very popular with the 20-something crowd. It's like the Cheeto of choice, if you will. But I assure you, if young, um, young millennial woman goes into a grocery store to buy hippies and they are not there, she's grabbing one of the 18 other options and right. not only 
well, I didn't get my hit. She's not going to cry about it because there's so much, so many hyper choices to make right there. And it's all happening in those three seconds. Right. So, so my point behind that is look at how sophisticated their marketing system is and they're still fighting parity. Right. Because there's almost, we call that perfect substitution in economic terms. Yeah. <laughs> there is perfect substitution. That's good. Yeah, I learned something. Okay, I'm done for my day because I learned something new. <laughs> well, right. I mean, there. If you um, if you're familiar with the Porter's Five Forces analysis, um, that is, and maybe I should do a podcast on this. But a Porter's Five Forces analysis is all of the pressures that are on your business, and one of the pressures on your business is the threat of substitutes. So there's the threat of competition. There's your supply chain, your demand chain, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and Porter was, um, he was a professor at Harvard Business School, but the threat of substitutes is there. And it is, as we look at it in food economics, um, the threat of substitutes is what makes something a commodity. Mm -hmm. So chicken is a substitute for beef and everybody knows it, which is why you have the Chick-fil-A campaign of, eat more chicken, yeah. right? It's dairy cattle saying eat more chicken because uh, chicken is a perfect substitute for, is, is, a, is a complete substitute for, for yeah. hamburgers. Um, and so that's super interesting, it's super interesting. And so then the, so then how does a brand play into that when there are so many, like in any category, in drinks and snacks, in any CPG category you could think of, we have basically hyper, you know, hyper choice or perfect substitution. So how does a brand play in that and succeed and win? Well, I, I, again, great question. I think it comes down to trust and relationships and having a story that I care about or that as a consumer can tap into and care about. It's, it really is why you exist beyond your product and, and, um, your profit. So what are you doing as a citizen brand, a, mm -hmm. a citizen of the world as a brand, as a manufacturer, as a farmer? That is very important to people today. And that is how you get differentiation and you over, overcome price injection. And in a sea of 18 like, like uh, options, you can stand out if you're able to communicate what you stand for instantaneously and then give, get them to touch it so that they can understand that there's a, a deeper story there. That's how you win. That's super interesting. It's all comes, you know, down to telling like an interesting story. Mm -hmm. It is. And so, you know, in the world of brand, there's like story is the, the new, it's, it's not new, but it's the buzzword. Like it all comes down to story, but you have to have a story that is real. It has mm -hmm. to be credible with the way the world works, I, I can learn anything about anything I want to know or anyone I want to know in a matter of moments. And so if my story smells funny, I'm going to get backlash or a brand is going to get backlash. So this whole idea of trust and transparency, while they seem really buzzy, they are critical to the success of a brand over time. I, when I talk to my clients when I'm coaching them, you know, we talk a lot about being a product of your product. And I think that consumers can tell the hypocrisy. You know, everybody can 
can spot greenwashing or organic washing or natural washing or whatever, because they're, the, the companies are not being a product of their product. And I think it's super interesting in local and sustainable food and agriculture, how we really get to tell the story of being the product of our product. But are you really doing that in your company? And how does that, you know, like the mission, vision and values, how do you incorporate that in your work so that people are coming across as their authentic selves? Well, I, again, great question. I, I think that this is going to be such an interesting answer because um, I can't wait to hear what you say. Because the way I think you do it is I think that you have to make it so plain English and plain spoken that a fifth grader understands what you're saying. Huh. And that everyone, therefore, inside your organization can scat with the mission and understand what the vision is and knows how to do their job and hold up the integrity of the organization. And if you don't have that, you have corporate hyperbole and people will skirt around it whenever possible. That's really interesting. And you know what that makes me think of is that, you know, in the work that in the work that we do, and this is true across any organization, whether you're in a service-based consultancy or you're a farmer or whatever, there's hard work that we have to do. And what is it that Mark Twain wrote like said about writing? Uh, like I could have written I could have written less if I had more time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I could have done a better job if I had more time or I could have gotten simpler. I could have made it simpler if I had more time. Right, yeah. exactly. And this, this being able to convey your mission, your vision, your values, your branding, whatever, in simple, easy, doable, and digestible steps is really hard for people because because it's hard to do that. It's hard if you have, I mean, for heaven's sakes, I have a doctorate there. I know a ton of farmers that have master's degrees yeah. Yeah. and that, that I, I'd like to call it the long Latinate language <laughs> that we all paid a lot of money for. We love our Latinate <laughs> words, right? And making it so that it's simple, easy, and doable can be incredibly hard, but what people do is they make it complex. Yeah. Right? They don't let it be hard. They all of a sudden they create drama. I can't do this. It's too, you know, like it's too much. I'm going to hire it out to do somebody to, to do it. And maybe you can do that, but you got to get that simple and easy to communicate way so that, that, that people know what you're authentically about and just let it be hard. Yeah, it is hard. And, and the thing is you got it. You don't have to have the, the fifth grader version of the language down. You can be complicated, but then when you know what you stand for, then you need to, have a coach or a guide or somebody help you break it down. It's so interesting. So to talk about Latinate and I, I come through it from, so I have an art degree right. and, um, and I went back to business school because art degree, I, I spoke too simply um, in order for people to understand me. And then I had this huge problem where I, I tried to sound like a smarty McSmarter because I was in the room with all the, all the people that spoke that way. And then I um, fast forward, it, it worked. And then I um, was asked to write a book by one of my business coaches. And I wrote a book and I, I've been blogging and writing for about a decade. And I um, kind of suck at it. If I'm really honest, it's, it's painful and it's, it's soul wrenching. And I try to go, is it, do I sound like it? And all of this sort of stuff. So on the book, I actually got a guide to work with me to make sure that it sounded like a fifth grader, the whole book 
So the, the beloved and dominant brands, the ecosystem thing that we talked about. So we took the first part of our branding process and turned it into a book and took all of the MBA out of it and made it so that a fifth grader can run a brand. And people are freaking out because they know what to do. Right. And, and so, does, so does my fifth grader. It's pretty right? cool. <laughs> but they freak out because they know what to do. And then dun, dun, dun. They have, now they have no excuses and they have to go and do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the part that they don't, that they don't like. So now I'm curious as you talk about your decade and, and writing books and things like that. And I will tell you, I know professional writers um, and they also struggle over their books. So I think it's totally normal. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what led you to branding and bringing out these stories as your calling? Well, so I got to it through a, a really interesting way. So I was Again, a, a graphic designer from day one, that was my, what my education is in. And I was lucky enough to get in, to be in the room when it happened a couple of three times very early on. Mm -hmm. And I watched and I realized that if I didn't speak a certain way or, or address the business problem at hand or the pain points or the um, team psychology, that mm -hmm. I was going to be the decorator. Mm -hmm. And so I worked really hard to study and learn team organization psychology, uh, leadership psychology, and also the basics of how their business and what, why they would use a designer in the first place. And then yada, 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 that worked. And uh, I realized that that was going to be back in, this was happening actually in the 90s. So branding was not a thing. It was just a, a lowercase b on the word. It was not a capital B. There were no degrees available in it. And so we're kind of like swimming out into completely new, new territory. And the harder I worked, the luckier I got, and the more people who actually knew what they were doing, I ran into. And so I just became a student of the process of, of it. And sometime in the middle of the 90s, I realized that I was driving the bus. So instead of feeling like, okay, this is so great, that's when I went back and studied business. So... I took what, once I was in the driver's seat on the bus, creating brands for people, rather than going, hey, I want to get lucky again. I wanted to be able to create a formula. And that mm -hmm. formula came down to organizational psychology, leadership, understanding the tenets of their business, and being able to lead teams through this process of getting it down to fifth grader language. Right. And so that, again, felt lucky, felt confident, and it was over the course of the next five years where branding became a thing that mm -hmm. it became really amazing and powerful. And that's about the time I started saying, Hey, what if we tried to point this for good? What if we tried to do something that would help people make the world a better place? Right. And so um, I went from wanting to make uh, the artifacts to wanting to influence the story and influence the relationships. And that's, that is uh, really how I came to become all about branding for this business as a force for good idea. Interesting. And so by artifacts, you're talking about like the graphic design and what, and like the logos and all of that stuff, what it looks like. Is that what that means? Yeah, that's what I mean by that. Exactly. Okay. All right. You know, that's completely fascinating what you're talking about, about organizational 
psychology and things like that because for years all I did was write people's food safety plans and I would like vomit documentation on them because we get I mean like seriously it's like six inches thick right um as it you know kind of should be maybe <laughs> um and I realized that just giving them the artifacts I love that just giving them the artifacts doesn't bring about the transformational change that they are looking for and it really is the psychology behind it it really is understanding how they approach their their work and their world and their universe to bring their message across and bring their story across so yeah it's it's so important for in every aspect of whenever you are taking a stand for something or quality matters or integrity matters, the why underneath is, is more important in here than the what. Right. The what can be done by um, anyone who has the documentation, but the why um, has to be um, internalized. Right, right. And with, a, and you know, like, when you have a good why, you can do any what you know, because exactly. you just keep going. <sighs> exactly. There, there's a book, um, Simon Sinek wrote a book called right. Stop Why, and yep. um, I'm a huge fan of it. And follow him on uh, many social media channels because um, he's always putting, you know, five second to 90 second videos out. And he's very inspirational. Right. Yeah, no, Simon Sinek, we, I've talked about his latest book, The Infinite Game, and what we are talking about is an infinite game. I mean, getting your story out there is something you will always be doing. It's not like you've told your story once and you're done, right? Uh. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's important because um, people have incredibly short attention spans, and if you're alive on planet Earth, it's very important to realize that your business, your practice, your humanity is a lot like the movie Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. And that you will get a chance to refine and tweak and modify and grow and get better every day if you choose to. And if you don't, mm -hmm. someone else will get better and then they'll tell the story better. And mm, right, right. So that, that brings me to another question is, is what's the most common reason you see um, your clients or, or your target market or whatever, giving up um, and failing and just, just quitting on, on, on getting their brand, their story out there? Well, I, I see a lot of people who kind of either they, they become opportunistic rather than strategic. So what that means is that, well, because I can make it or because I could make this deal, I do it. Doesn't mean I should. And so they, they kind of, um, what I think is deep in their heart, they forget who they are and why they exist beyond making the profit. And they go for the opportunity, even if it deviates their storytelling. And then they get into these compromised positions where they might have six or 10 things that, that are not who they are, that are happening around their business. And over the course of time, it becomes who they are. So they get um, really focused on, transactional business rather than relationship business and it's transactions are no fun at all right mm -hmm. but conspiring together to make something happen and helping both sides win kind of rules it's the best thing so i think that is that they become disheartened or they become very pragmatic and then it becomes about money whenever you have money and pragmatism and transactions you're, you're bored right mm -hmm. and i think i think that is the fundamental 
reason people uh, kind of give up, if you will. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I see that because it gets, if you're always chasing the next dollar, then what you're concentrating on is the chase and how you think that dollar is going to make you feel as opposed to like, feeling awesome about what you're doing now, irrespective of the dollars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, the, it's, it's so, so important because money in business is a little bit like oxygen if you're a human. Mm -hmm. If you run out, there's going to be a problem. You're right. going to pass out at some point. And so you have to have it, but it's not your joie de vivre. It's, oxygen doesn't give you joy. It runs in the background and it gives right. you an essential building block that keeps your your heart pumping and your brain working so that you can go and do the thing you were here put here to do and mm -hmm. when people f think about their business that way they don't burn out they get they feel blessed and they feel like oh my gosh i get to go do this again today what a great gift yeah, right that's what it's about so then in thinking about your entrepreneurship journey and your work with people, founders and, and entrepreneurs and things like that, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to be uh, a food entrepreneur, whether they're a farmer, manufacturer or whatever, um, or who is just like starting out in this entrepreneurship journey? The advice I would give them is if you want to do it by yourself, do something else. If you don't want to make a team and you don't want to collaborate and create a network of like-minded humans, it's going to be a long, hard slog. But if you have a team around you that share your vision and your passion, mm -hmm. it's much more fun. And fun is fuel. Right. No. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I tell, you know, I tell people food safety is a team sport. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. Right, because we can't, I mean, there are so many super important things that you have to think about. Very few people like um, can can do all of that thinking. I mean, even me, you know, I've got a doctorate. I've got, like, I've been doing this, sleeping and breathing it since 2006, really. Um, and even I don't, you know, like, even I can't do it all by myself, nor would I really want to, uh, because different perspectives and, and if, are so important. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's important to have people who can reality check you and people that you trust to question your thinking or to have that advisor that you can go to to say, hey, I really need to know how to do yada yada. And there's no shame in that. Like if everybody had all the answers up front, it would be unfair. They would be superhuman. And that just isn't how it works. So think of it as learning and team learning and team sport is a great way to think of it. Entrepreneurship is not a solo deal. It's a team sport. Right. Yeah. So that is, so then as somebody who comes in on other people's teams, what are some of the questions that you ask to get people thinking about their brand and their story? My favorite question I learned from this group in Canada called strategic coach. Mm -hmm. And the question that I like to ask people when they're thinking about this stuff is say, so let's say we're sitting here having this conversation two years from now. Mm -hmm. What will have, need to have happened personally and professionally in order for you to feel good about the journey? Mm. And people give you very complicated answers to that question. And in, the, in their complicated answers, I'm able to unpack what needs to happen 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because again, no. just I was going to say that change, like let's say that you come to me and you have a business and I'm my cold-eyed, cold-hearted expert assessment is we need to change everything. Well, that's not going to work if your psychology is not up for it. So if we don't understand what's in it for you personally, we can't make the changes necessary. So it's not just saying, let's go check all 27 boxes that need to be checked. It's saying, well, let's resequence those boxes around the humans involved and what their taste for changes and what their appetite for rigor is and be able to reorganize and, and sequence them in a certain way so that that business can be successful. It's almost like all processes in a business revolve around the people in that business. Exactly. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> right. Because your 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 processes, and I, you know, I, they're I, talking about those assets in a business. Your processes are an asset in your business, and the process by which you get your brand, you tell your story, and you bring your authentic self out into the world is a process that creates an asset in your business. And over time, it's the only long-term sustainable business asset that cannot be stolen. Or cannot be out out um, optimized or out cost engineered. Right, right. Nobody, nobody, nobody is your story except you. So you got to be brave and be willing to tell it so that it's compelling and doesn't try to sound like you're superior to other humans. I love that. You got to be brave. So talk to me a little bit about being brave with your brand. Well, so think of it like this. So if, again, if you go out and say that there is hyper choice and there's parity and um, commoditization of any category that we can think of, or the risk of commoditization of any category that we can think of, if we're going to take marketing and we're going to run the standard marketing program, we're going to sound like the 18 competitors. And so being brave is being willing to using your values and why you exist beyond making a product or and a profit to understand how you're going to connect with humans' lives and to do that in a way where you sound different than everyone else in the category because you are different than everyone else in the category as people. And so when I'm thinking about things like values and brand pillars and missions, we always tell our, our clients and, and argue a lot about it in the in the studio here that we want the, the words that come out of our mouth to scare the living daylights out of anybody who would compete with the brand we're working on because they can't just shoplift them because they're so uniquely vulnerable to that, that set of humans or that, that idea. So that's what it means to be brave is look for things that when you hear them and they, you learn to say them, they might be so true they make you uncomfortable because no one else in your category can say it. That's when you know you're being brave. And I have an example of that. We're working with, or we worked with this company, Essential Water. And it's, mm-hmm. water marketing is about as, oh my gosh, and is about, about commoditized and parity as you can get. So, Wait, seriously? <laughs> you know, bottled water. Uh, so we worked with them and the, the thing that we came up with was understanding who the team was, who the scientists who created the technology, what they stood for, what the, the organization wanted to do. And we worked on all of those sorts of things and we realized that they had a set of beliefs that were not being communicated to the world. Huh. And it was about uh, 
being um, egalitarian and tolerant and open-hearted and wanting to help youth and wanting to protect the future of water. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, how can, so, so instead of like marketing and having like a Jennifer Aniston type character, which is what all waters try to do, um, okay. as a celebrity, you know, have a celebrity spokesperson that looks like Jennifer Aniston and then you're, then you're a water brand. Um, anyway, we, we pushed away from that because their value system didn't come anywhere close to that. And we basically identified them inside the organization as this small misfit band uh, or a tribe, if you will, of overachievers. And we did psych profiles on all of them. And sure enough, they're all overachievers and they had been their whole lives, but they don't see themselves as overachievers. So we took that and pushed it out to the world and said, let's invite all the overachievers to connect with this tribe. Come be a misfit like us, whatever you are, let your freak flag fly. And here we are. And that's kind of the tenet of that brand is be the best version of you. Cause if you're not the best version of you, somebody else will be. Right. No, right. No, that's really, that's really good because when, when you think about it, it's there. And I had a coach tell me this a while back, you know, my differences are my magic. That's the, that's the magic I bring to the universe. And that's the magic <laughs> all my farmers bring their differences, how they're doing it is, is their magic to change yeah. the world. <sighs> That's exactly it is, you know, to be, to be unafraid to believe in magic and be unafraid to have magic and to let it show to others. You know, I think that, um, you know, I've heard it said a whole bunch of different ways. I have different, different coaches that come at me from the business side who want to make sure that I have my economics and all of that lined up. And then I have other people who are coming at it from the spiritual side. So I try to balance it out all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and somebody said to me fairly recently, like, you playing small does not serve the world well. You, if you don't wear your blessings well, people mm-hmm. are not going to understand that there's, there's something for them in the conversation. And so um, I remind myself of that since I heard it every day now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, th- I mean... That's so true. And that just comes, that just creates this wellspring of the ability to go out there and do the work in the world that you were meant to do. Yeah. And that's, and that's beautiful. And there's like no higher thing to be doing with your life. Um, Exactly. Doing what the universe is calling you to do. Well, I think that is amazing. So now if people want to hear more, if they want to get in touch with you, tell us all the details. Okay, well, you can go to my company's website. It's called Retail Voodoo, and the whole idea of science and magic, as we just talked about, or business and magic, that's kind of what it's about. So if you don't believe in magic, it's probably not going to be a fun site for you. Uh, (laughs) And then my name is David Lemley, and my email and connections are all available on that site. And if you want to go check out my book, it's available on Amazon. It's called Beloved and Dominant Brands. And if you like it, write a really awesome review. And if you don't, just send me an email. <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like I should end the podcast with um, with uh, the song from from Labyrinth. I'm a big Labyrinth fan. I don't know <laughs> nice, yeah. fan, but dance, magic, dance. You know. <laughs> That's and just like, let yourself be super free. I don't have the rights to that song. Please nobody come after me. But um, <laughs> but 
but that's what it is. Just, you know, like go out and do your own magic. Well, it's been great having you here, David. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We will put all of that information um, in the show notes and we will take it from there. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Michelle. It was so much fun. This was great. Have a great afternoon. Take care. Bye. Ta-da, we did it. <laughs> Yay us. Yay us. Yay us. That was awesome. Uh, that, that was, was a lot of fun. I'm going to totally, I'm going to totally go. I'm actually, I have to tell you, I am looking for a book to do my, um, to, to read with my membership. So I have this, I have this membership where I, like, uh-huh. I coach people every week and they get all of their food safety documentation and, and they learn how to do all their own implementations and things like that. Um, and I'm looking for a book, um, to read over the summer because nobody's going to do daily homework on food safety over the summer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to totally check out your book. So, t- so tell me a little bit more about your book. Yeah, so the book is, um, so we have this process, again, over the, the course of time, developed a very complicated process to mm-hmm. make sure that we that, that the process of creating a brand or helping somebody refine their system works. And this is, the book is really step one in our process. And it's the idea that you can use a category audit to upgrade the caliber of questions that you ask yourself internally and that you ask people externally. And it really gets into thinking about the relationships we were just talking about. And so the book is um, designed to be read in one airplane ride. It's 150 pages, but the idea is um, you will refer to it over and over and over again, because it, it, ends each chapter, it takes the seven musts of marketing, the seven key areas of marketing, and it breaks them down into little 20-page essays with charts and graphs in them. And it ends each chapter with asking questions of you and your brand and your company and your relationships that uh, nobody asks. Mm-hmm. And so, and it, the, the idea is the book is there for you to do it. And if you ask those questions of yourself and you do the homework that's in the book, you will be able to diagnose how to move your brand forward. Oh my God. I love that. Can, um, can I teach your book over the summer? Totally. Like- you should. Okay. Cool. Looks, I'll show it to you. I'll show you a chart from the book that is really sums up kind of what the whole book is about. It's this notion of, um, let me see. It's it's this right here, which is really cool. So here's the framework. It's the um, okay, sure. Takes mm-hmm. this seven months of marketing and it flips them on their head. Puts um, customer education as the foundation and, okay. and ends with where most people spend their time, which is social media. But the idea is it ladders up through right. everything, and if you touch all of these things holistically, mm-hmm. they build on each other, and the all of your energy and momentum creates truth and authenticity and traction with people rather than if you just say, Oh, I want to use my website and my social media to do blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work that way. So it's a powerful, simple tool. And it's, again, it's step one of our process. So we wanted to get it out to the world because again, we want all my thing is, I get to be who I am because all of these food brands and all of these farmers and all of these sustainable agriculture people, everybody is starting to win. It's starting to tip. And that's mm-hmm. what, what I want to do. So I wanted to get it into more people's hands so that they would uh, 
be able to self-diagnose. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. So there, I'm going to go order your book over Amazon. I'm going to read it and make sure it's something I can do with my people over the summer. Um, last summer we did, um, a, a whole thing on lean processing and I think it was too cerebral for people. <laughs> um, and so I'm trying to do something that's a little more, that's a little, a little easier, frankly. And this is probably easier than that. <laughs> and it's filled with fifth grader language, which is fifth grader language. Like, honestly, I need to, I realized, uh, yesterday I was listening to one of my coaches and she was interviewing somebody and, and she's like, you know, a lot of us write our copy trying to convince the no's and the fence sitters. What happens if you start writing your copy to the people who are a hell yes to work with you? Exactly. Exactly. So like, Ha! <laughs> you go, oh my gosh, yeah, it's totally different. And so it's right. so funny because we do that. So I have, um, uh, I'm married to my business partner, which um, okay. is a whole other thing. Um, uh, we have a family business too. <laughs> okay. so, so it's it's awesome and it's, it's terrifying and it's a thing, but we have that conversation you're talking about all the time because there's an earnestness that comes out when you're trying to um, overcome objection of somebody right. who's never going to believe. And if you right. approach it from that perspective, it's no fun at all. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that goes like to back to the book that the coach that I had, um, she was just, she just kept saying stuff like you just said, which is, well, imagine if you wrote this to somebody that believes, or imagine if you wrote it to somebody who's sitting on the edge, ready to ask the hard questions or get out of that part of their business because it's doesn't feed their soul. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's totally, it's totally true. And I think that the more we find our ways to speak to the hell yes, and, and stop trying to convince people, because I think when we're trying to convince people, we're really trying, we're, we're still in that game of trying to convince ourselves. Yeah, which is never going to happen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So this has been amazing. All right. Well, cool. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to order your book. I'm going to read it. Um, and, um, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been super fun. This was great. Yeah. Um, and if there's ever anything I can do, you know, like if people come to you and their brands are about to die because, <laughs> because they're in recall or whatever, I, you know, like, let me help them before they die, please. Yeah, that, that's, it's good to, um, yes, there are a couple of times when um, in the past where I had wished I had known you because they did do exactly that and, um, you know, took a year to recover from something that I think they could have fixed in a matter of weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that is so right. So that's what, like, I do, I do recall clients. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I'm expensive, but by the time you're in recall, you probably have, I don't know if you have this idea in, in, in your branding business, but, but, um, uh, deferred maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, there's so much ground you have to, you have to make up uh, by the time that you get to a recall, you know, or a catastrophic event or whatever that it takes, you know, all that investment you didn't make for the past five years. You got to do it now. Yeah. Now it's, now's the time, my friend. So yeah. Yeah. So if you have, you know, like, so if you have folks like food brands and stuff like that there, I would love any referrals because yeah. it, it, I've never had anybody who's gone into recall. That's a client go out of business. Um, and a recall shouldn't be a reason to go out of business. It's actually a really great reason to fail forward. So. Yeah. Fail forward is a good, good mantra. 
yeah there you go all right well cool well it's been amazing talking to you i will probably be in touch about the book uh with questions and all that good sort of stuff yeah so maybe when you're out here um in april we can chat about it have a little okay. coffee talk i'd love coffee, that coffee talk that sounds yeah. perfect thank you all so right. much michelle all right thanks you have a great day yeah, bye bye-bye thank you for tuning into our podcast be sure to join us in The Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.